Philippians chapter 1. We're in a series on the book of Philippians, and uh, each of the books of the Bible kind of have a theme uh, that encourages us because uh, the Bible is God's revealed word to us. And I believe there's a twofold theme in Philippians. Some people say there's only one, but I believe there really is two. And uh, we'll see it as we move through the book. We're in chapter one only. And um, I think the theme is unity in the body of Christ and joy through having the mind of Christ. Key verse would be chapter two, verse five, where Paul tells the Philippian believers, let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. Or he says, have the attitude of Christ. And we're going to see again, we're going to be in chapter two real soon, a few weeks. We're going to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. If you want to look at a portion of scripture that tells you the beauty of Jesus Christ, you will find it in um, that uh, chapter 2 of Philippians. And again, I thank the Lord for that song that was just sung for us, uh, how uh, the Lord says that he is taking care of us and who the Son sets free. He's free indeed. And if you know Jesus is your Savior, you have a tremendous spiritual freedom you have a relationship with Christ, and uh, we are who he says we are. Uh, we're his children through faith in Christ. John 1.12, but as many as received him, Jesus, to those he gives the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And so that was an awesome song to be sung. Uh, we, we thank the Lord for our relationship with him. Now, in this book, by the way, the Apostle Paul wants us as believers to be experiencing in our lives joy. Now, joy in the Bible is actually different from happiness. Sometimes when people think of joy, they think, well, of happiness. But joy is actually um, the fruit of our relationship with God. It's an inner satisfaction. It's something the Lord wants us to have. And this is not saying that you may not have a bad day. Sometimes people have what are called bad days. Things are not going right. In fact, we're going to talk about the four things that rob joy, take joy right out of your life. But really, if, as you read through this book, you see that the Lord really does want us to experience his joy. Uh, in fact, the Lord Jesus said to the disciples, he said, These things I have said to you, that is in John 15, These things I have said to you, that my joy might remain in you. See why I said he wants us to be joyful? And that your joy might be full and complete. So I would say if I was reading that verse in the Bible, I would stop there and say, Lord, I want to experience that joy that you want me to have. I really do. I don't think the Lord wants us going day after day where things are pulling us down where we don't enjoy a relationship with the God we just sang about, the God who created our world, the God who loves us so much and sent his son. I really can't find a verse of scripture or a passage of encouragement to be sad about life. We should be enjoying what the Lord gives to us. Yes, trials come along. I'm not trying to be unrealistic. You and I know that even in, as you look in scripture, some Christians have gone through New Testament, uh, real trials. Some believers, Old Testament, went through some tremendous trials. But the interesting thing is to realize, yes, 
in the midst of trials and needs, the Lord promises to go with us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Please don't let that verse uh, wander away from your primary thinking. The Lord says, I will never leave you, even though there are circumstances, and that's the number one on the four things that rob us of joy, even though circumstances may be adverse. Let's mention the four circumstances. And these come to us from Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on Philippians. And he handles it well. He said, we've got to be realistic. Yes, God wants us to be experiencing joy, but there are some things, and we mentioned this last week, that can pull the joy right out of your life. But we're going to tell you why it doesn't have to happen. Okay? Let's talk about the four that take away joy, things that take away joy rob you of joy. First one will use the word that he used, circumstances. When things are going our way, you know, we can be pretty happy. We can be having Christian joy. It can be there. But sometimes circumstances uh, present things which are beyond our control. In fact, if you think about it a little bit, there are a number of circumstances in life that are really not controllable by us. For instance, I'll give you one that's real easy. Like the weather. Can't control the weather, right? Okay, how about traffic when you're going to work? No, can't do it. Um, what about people you work with? Can you control them? No. So you see, um, there are circumstances that can pull the joy right out of your life. But as believers, we know that it's our relationship with Jesus Christ is the source of our joy. In fact, Jerry Bridges in his book, The Fruitful Life, said, Joy is actually the enjoyment of God. If you can say, you know, I've received Jesus as my Savior. Yes, I've had trials come into my life, but I've received Jesus as my Savior. And I, yes, I've had very difficult things, but I've had an inner joy. I can remember a man in New York who... Um, got himself into real serious trouble. I mean, serious. I'm going to say it again. Serious trouble. And he worked at the factory downtown. He called me up. And he says, could you meet me at my lunch hour? Be glad to. I'm meet, glad to meet him. And, and he told me the situation he was in. And he said, you know, he says, I'm in the worst situation I've ever been in my life. And I'll never forget, I might start crying when I think about this and this man with his need. But he said, um, but the Lord's put a song in my heart. Pastor, will you pray for me? But let me do a little singing first. And he started to sing. Wow. I mean, that was, <laughs> I was moved. Um, he started to sing. And I can see that he sought the Lord for forgiveness for what he did. And he was allowing the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, to minister to his heart. It can happen. Circumstances can be bad. But joy, what is it? It's that which comes from our relationship with the Lord. It's the fruit of our communion with him. People can steal joy. Uh, I've had people say that um, they work alongside somebody at work, and you've probably heard this, and I do my job, and they don't do their job. And, and they complain, and they talk down about the boss, and... That's difficult to be around negative things. But you can still have joy because you belong to the Lord. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Jesus said concerning you and me as believers, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Wow, 
But I have people around me who are, well, but the Lord says, you're the salt. You're the light. You have Jesus living in you. So people can try to rob you of, of joy. There are things that can rob you of joy. Sometimes things, possessions come into the life. Jesus said something very interesting in Luke 12:15. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. <laughs> we saw in our Sunday school class this morning that uh, Solomon had all kinds of things, but they did not bring him peace and satisfaction in life. And the fourth thing that can steal joy from you is worry. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said, this is the worst thief of all. Now, um, there's a difference between worry and concern. There really is. God wants us to have concern about things. You look at your future and you say, you know, I don't know how this month's going to go. Sometimes people are backed up financially and they'll say, I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, I've prayed with people. Probably you have too. I don't know how this is going to go. And so they'll begin to worry. Now let, let's, let's create the scenario and answer it. So here you have a Christian, truly born again, knows the Lord as Savior, and they're running low on finances. And um, should they start worrying about whether they're going to have enough till the end of the month? No. Well, that's easy to say standing here. It's easy to say, but it's hard for the person who's lacking the money. But, you know, what's the answer? What's the answer? The answer is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. Be worrying about nothing. Now, if God tells us to do something, he wants us to do it. So he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. People don't understand. So that believer, that believer we created that scenario, who may be running low financially, could do this. Lord, I have a need. I have a need before the end of the month. Would you help me to supply that need? And then that brother or that sister who has that problem can take that prayer request to his or her church family. doesn't mean they have to be a member. It's good. Membership's awesome. But they could take their concern to the body of Christ. And will the body of Christ minister? I think you know the answer. Yes. So uh, these four things can rob us of joy. Now, we're going to get back into this section of Scripture, and we're going to get to the place where we see our key verse this morning is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That is an awesome summary verse for the Christian life. We'll talk about that. But we'll go back to verse 12 where we left off last week. And last week's message we saw that God uses adversity for our good and for his glory. The Apostle Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. And he says in verse 12, now I want you to know, I want you to remember this, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So the message is getting out. Paul traveled a lot, around a lot. Uh, the travels of Paul are in the book of Acts. But it, the traveling stopped when he was put in jail for preaching the gospel. People didn't want to hear it. The leadership of Israel didn't want to hear it. People of Israel, the Jewish people. Many in the Roman community didn't want to hear about this King Jesus. And he is king, by the way, and Lord of lords. But Paul says 
The things which have happened to me have happened rather for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul saw his chains in prison as God appointed megaphones to get the gospel message out. And every time he was linked up with a, 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 I'm going to call it a handcuff, chains to a Roman soldier, I want you to answer it. What did he have an opportunity to tell that soldier about? Starts with a G and ends with an L. Yeah, (laughs) the gospel, the good news. Every time they put another Roman soldier in there, Paul could say, you know, I'm going to tell you why I'm in here. I'm in here, I'm in prison, because I've been telling others about the awesome God in heaven who sent his son, Jesus, to come and give his life for us. And that Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sins. I was opposed to Jesus, but then he revealed himself to me, and I accepted him as Savior. He rose from the dead after he was crucified, and he's forgiven me of my sins. And there were a number of the soldiers who came to faith in Jesus Christ. With every changing of the guard came a new opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then in verse 14, he says how through his witness when he was in prison, others were getting encouraged to also share their knowledge of Jesus Christ with with, uh, people who needed the Lord. Um, In spite of his imprisonment, he helped others to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing, we see this from Paul's example here, how God can use you, and this is good application of Scripture, by the way. If you look at the Apostle Paul, Sometimes you may say, well, you know, I'm not influencing that many people for the Lord. You may not know how many people you're influencing for the Lord. You want to continue to be faithful to the Lord and realize that there are others who are watching you and watching your life. And they're listening to the things that you say. When you would happen to say, you know, I saw a friend from years ago and talked to that person about Jesus, and I don't think they even knew Jesus Christ as Savior. And I had an opportunity to tell them my faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. Because of Paul's chains, Christ was honored and glorified. And the whole palace guard, verse 13, were coming to understand faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also says, and he uses the terminology in verse 20. Drop down to 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I should be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether in life or in death. Wow. He's saying, yes, I'm in prison for preaching the gospel, but I'm telling others about Jesus. And God is not only bringing soldiers to faith in Christ, but he's actually encouraging those who hear what's happening about the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And let me just read, and then we'll we'll hit our key verse. Uh, Verse 22, skip 21 for a minute. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain with you in the flesh is more needful to you. You know what he's saying there? He's saying... I'm going to go ahead and realize that I can postpone my desire to be in heaven because I want to minister to you. I want to keep sharing with you Philippian believers about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he can do in your life. 
let me repeat that. What he can do in your life. You know, that's one of the things that should go through our thinking. What has the Lord done in my life? What are things that he will do for me in the future? Oh, you would be amazed if you could line your thinking up with. What has he done for me? Oh, the faithfulness of the Lord. Testimony time. Oh, the faithfulness of the Lord for many, many years in your life and experience. What will he do for me? Well, he he is able to do, Ephesians 3.20, by the way, good verse to have on your refrigerator. Besides, do not eat too much. Ephesians 3.20. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Wow, what a verse. What a verse. So interesting. Uh, Now we will go to 21 where Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, when you look at this verse, Paul's not saying that he didn't enjoy the other things in life that God gave to him, relationships, even work. He was a tent maker, other responsibilities that he had in life. But he said, Jesus Christ is the reason I live. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some people would fill in the blank there. If you were to say, for me to live is, and then fill in the blank, and to die is, fill in the blank. Well, what if someone said, for me to live is money? Well, you would fill in the blank because you know what the Bible says. For me to live is somebody saying, I want to make all the money that I can. I really want a job that will really pay me for what I really deserve. Okay? For me to live is, and it's not good to have that as a goal for living, money. And to die is to leave it all behind for somebody else. Isn't that true? But you see, when we take the goals of life, that we want to earn money, and we want to use it for His glory and for God's best in our lives, it's amazing what the Lord will do. We saw this this morning again in our Sunday school classes. We, we were looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon tried all kinds of things in his life without bringing God into the picture. And he didn't find the satisfaction that he was really looking for. Here he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And let me mention this to you just briefly. Um, that phrase for me to live is Christ. Years ago, way back in New Jersey, they used to have a conference center named Keswick. I'm going to see if anybody's ever heard of Keswick Conference Center. Oh, my goodness, I get shocked every time I ask for a raise of hands. One more time, Keswick Conference Center. Okay, back in New Jersey in the 50s and the 60s, that's not that long ago, they used to have this, this big conference center near the beaches of New Jersey. And families from our church and families from churches that are used to drive down to the Keswick Conference Center. And you'd get in the conference center and you'd see this big verse across the front, the front, and it would say, For me to live is Christ. And we would call this a spiritual life conference. Now you don't hear about many of these today in Texas. But they still have them around somewhere. Go on the internet, see if you can find them. But we had these big conferences. Every summer, people would drive for miles down to uh, Harvey Cedars, New Jersey. You look it up on the Internet. And all across the front, in big letters, it would say, For me to live is Christ. <clears throat> and they would have speakers from various groups, um, groups that you would know and appreciate. 
And they would come in and they would uh, preach Christ. They would say, you know, we need to have commitment to Jesus Christ. For me to live as Christ, I can still see those words up there in the front of the auditorium. Well, they would open the word of God and they've had speakers come in. Now I'm going to make you laugh again this morning. And back in those days for the conferences, they used to speak a long time. Sometimes way over an hour. I remember a number of years ago, I heard Marv Rosenthal, and he wouldn't mind me saying this. I remember him from seminary. And he spoke for an hour and a half. And you know, you could say, boy, I don't have that attention stamp. Maybe that's true. But that hour and a half to me went by like that. Because he was going down and explaining what God has done for us through Christ. And Okay, here's my point. The big conference for me to live is Christ. And at the end of the conference, they'd say, now how's your relationship to Jesus Christ? Are you doing all right spiritually? Are you in fellowship with Christ? And if not, come forward. We're going to pray right up here across the front. Some of you have seen Billy Graham crusades where he invites people to come to faith in Christ. And, you know, I remember I was taught, when you see that on TV, when you see it's live, and he's inviting people to come, pray for those people that they'll come forward. That many people who come to those meetings will come to Jesus. I went to a meeting in Dallas. In fact, the last time Billy Graham went to Dallas. And there was a young young teenager there. And he was there with his girlfriend. And I had uh, booklets that I was going to give out after people came forward. And he said, what do you have there? And I said, well, I have booklets that explain what it means to know Jesus as you said. He said, can I have one now? And I said, Certainly. Prayed for him. Believe he trusted Christ as Savior. Somebody invited him. So this is called the invitation, right? So you've seen them on TV and how people respond. Well, they used to do this at spiritual life conferences. Keswick, New Jersey. For me to live as Christ. And they say, how's your relationship to Christ? And people would sit there and say, not that good. Why don't you come forward for a word of prayer? And people would come down to the front and they'd stand across the front and bow in prayer. And it's amazing. You could sense the Spirit of the Lord working in hearts and lives. And people wanted that freedom. Remember we sang about that freedom this morning in Christ? Awesome. When Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. And so this verse is very powerful. For me to live as Christ and die as gain. And if you'll give me a couple minutes, I'm going to tell you why he said... To die is gain. We do not know when the Lord's going to call us. But one thing is for sure. We all need to be ready. We meaning me too. Paul said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, one of the joys of being here at Louisville Bible Church, and you would say, a joy? really is. Some of the people you know who used to sit in these pews right here, they're now with the Lord. I'm looking forward to seeing them. I really am. In fact, I'm, every once in a while I'm wondering what they're doing up there. <laughs> but it, it's awesome to know, and I'm going to give it to you before we close in prayer, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. In other words, it's profitable for you to die as a believer. And you say, but I don't want to die now. Of course we don't. We want to stay with our family and loved ones. 
I could tell you about how I prayed when I found out I had a heart need, but the Lord came through, healed me completely. When loved ones get sick, we pray that God will heal them because God's put us here to enjoy this life. But please don't ever forget this verse. Please. For me to live as Christ, he's taking care of me in this life while I'm on this journey till I go to glory, but to die is gain. Pastor mentioned the gains. That's one of the things we like to do at funeral services, right? The first gain. You'll remember them, by the way. You will. The first gain is that that believer who dies goes to be with the Lord. Now you say, okay, hey, that's good. I like that. That is good. Especially when you know the people who don't know Jesus go to that other place. It's interesting. They want a clubs on Wednesday nights. When you talk to kids about heaven and hell, we say to them sometimes, where do Christians go when they die? And they say, heaven. Well, where do people go who don't know Jesus? And they go, <laughs> they don't want to use the word. Listen, Jesus warned more about hell than he spoke about heaven. The believer who dies, the gain, number one, is to be with the Lord. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he comes back again, when he's revealed, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You can say for your loved ones who've already gone to glory, they've already seen Jesus. It's awesome. It's awesome. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I'm going to a concert in Dallas. because, And they get in there and the place is packed and uh, they go to see somebody sing or something and they're about that big from where they're sitting. I've been, I went to a basketball game with my son and we're way up the top. I said, Dan, that basketball court looks like a postage stamps. <laughs> and he said, yeah, but we're having a good time together. We were. When you get to heaven, you will see the Lord. The believer goes to be with the Lord. Revelation 22, 4, The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face. Secondly, second gain, the believer leaves behind a limited body. These bodies are awesome. Psalmist said we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but they have their limitations, and we know that to be true. When we get to heaven... We're going to have a renewed body. I believe we even have an intermediate body before the resurrection. I'm not going to budge on that subject. I realize it's controversial to some people. Moses and Elijah were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah. When Jesus was there, Peter, James, and John. Hey, wait a minute. Let's put these guys together. Peter, James, and John, Moses and Elijah had died years before. Well, Elijah was taken up into heaven. Moses died and God buried him. Very important, by the way. But here they are together up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, yes, we will have new bodies when we're in heaven with the Lord. Third, third game, first game, you see the Lord. Second game, you get another body. Third game, there's meaningful service and worship. I jotted down, I used to jot down, you know, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about what we're going to do in heaven. And then I started reading a book by a man by the name of Paul Enns who wrote Heaven Revealed. And I'm going to tell you what he said about 
what people will be doing in heaven. This is real quick. This is um, in the future, okay? And uh, we'll pull it together. We're going to reign with Christ. He's got references for all this. We're going to be rebuilding cities, Amos 9. We will be farming Isaiah 30. That doesn't mean every one of us. We'll be farming Isaiah 30, cultivating orchards, Amos chapter 9, raising livestock, Isaiah 55. Boy, that's an interesting one. We were uh, seven and a half years in Nebraska. What a place to live, Nebraska. One of the things there, there's not many people that live in that state. There's more people that live in Dallas than live in the whole state of Nebraska. But we loved it. We really did. I even went on a cattle drive, and it was fun. I was sore. But I, I was sore after that. Okay. Um, many things. Meaningful service and worship of God, and then number four, the believer will spend eternity learning more and more about the glory of God and God's ways. Don't feel, please listen to this. Don't feel that you're going to be bored in heaven. Don't feel that heaven's just another longer service, like one of those ones where those guys preach for an hour. It's not that. Heaven is an awesome place. It's a glorious place. There'll be tremendous freedom. You'll see people you know and love. The sad thing will be you may not see people there who you wish could be there. But the Bible says there's joy in heaven. And so the Lord has a way of changing our thinking to realize that we're here, we're there because of his glory and his grace and his mercy in our lives. The verse is very clear. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Please keep that verse in mind because it may be someday that the Lord calls you home. And we don't know when this is going to be. In fact, I had a real reference to the fact that the timing of when we go home is in the Bible. And the timing is, you won't, you won't, you, you got to get this. Got to mention it. The timing is totally in God's hands. Totally in God's hands. Job 14, verse 5, if you take notes. And Psalm 135, verse 16. Repeat. Job 14, verse 5, where it says, His days are determined and the number of his months. The Lord is with you. And then secondly... 139.16, the days fashioned for me, the psalmist said, when there was yet none of them, Lord, and here's how he said it, you carved out the days for me. So, you know, this encourages us because things can happen in our lives that we don't understand. We just don't understand. We don't know why we're here right now, but God does. And so, therefore, for me to live is Christ. Make sure that you do have a good strong relationship with Jesus Christ. And you will have joy in your life. There will be things that will come along that will try to pull that joy out of your life. But you see, there's a song, we don't sing it too often, Jesus in me for each tomorrow, every trial, every sorrow, I know that I can depend on him who is my friend, Jesus in me for each tomorrow. Let's pray together.